thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, it's been a few days, man, since we recorded. <laughs> Did you enjoy your vacation? Uh, yes, the uh, the snows of Vermont were, were very pleasant. <laughs> I shredded the slopes. I uh, got to avoid <laughs> some of the Cavs' tough losses. I had to watch most of them and recap. <laughs> Because there was no TV where I was, so that was fun. That's not bad, you know. I, it, you unplugged. That's what it sounds like. You unplugged. Yeah, it wasn't intentional though. Like if I, I felt like I was just searching for a signal to try to figure out what was happening. <laughs> then when I got back, I was like, oh, I, I guess it was a sign that I shouldn't have watched. Yes, and with that being said, Cleveland coming off back-to-back losses versus the Philadelphia 76ers and Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> yeah. Man, so first things first here. You know, I know that everybody has already talked about the uh the MVP performance from Joel Embiid and company, but the one thing from that game, my biggest takeaway was just that the Cavs seemed to get beat early and often by the cutters. They would double and beat so much in that game. And I know you said you kind of caught the recap of them, but we we all know Joel and beat is going to beat you. The, the, the trick here is to, uh, is to make his teammates step up and Cleveland kind of failed in that regard to stop the, uh, the supporting cast. And that one got out of hand very, very quickly. And Corey, man, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, if you haven't actually watched the game it's in its entirety via replay or something like that, let me just tell you, it did not go well from the jump. Joel nearly had a triple-double in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, when I watched, I um, I watched like some semblance of the first quarter, and then my signal kind of died, petered out after that. But what I was noticing was that the Cavs defense was just constantly in like chase mode for everyone who wasn't Embiid. And it wasn't like Embiid was struggling with the defense we were throwing at him either. He was still just getting what he kind of wanted. And the Cavs were just, they were breaking and bending at the same time. Yeah, it was so uncharacteristic of the Cavs. And I, I felt that Jared Allen played a pretty, you know, as as can be expected game against Joel. I mean, you're, like I said, you're not really going to stop that guy, but I felt Jarrett did a decent job when he was the single defender. The problem to me was just, like I said, when they tried to double Embiid, that all hell broke loose because cutters were just sprinting, you know, everywhere across the court and whatnot. And it's not as if you had a ton of scoring, you know, outside of Embiid. The the next closest score was Tyrese Maxey was 16. But mm-hmm. it just kind of had the feeling of a game that the Cavs just were never really in from the jump. And, I mean, I had joked around about this. I thought Joel had looked tired. Uh, I want to say it was probably about the second quarter, by the second quarter, because, you know, this guy does everything. He's handling the ball. He's walking out the court. He's initiating the offense. He led the team. How often do you see a, a center lead the team in assist? There's probably maybe. Pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nikola, you know, yep. Jokic. And, and uh, Evan Mobley in like four years. <laughs> Next year, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would mean Darius is in a slump, so that'd be quite true. unfortunate. <laughs> true, true. Uh, but yes, I had joked around this, uh, around about this, about Embiid kind of looking tired, let alone. Did you see that? That uh, I think people call it the thrunk on Jared <laughs> Allen. Yeah. You know, I don't know why like people could are just attacking centers for trying to contest a dunk like it's what like 
it seems like Twitter is never happy whether they're contesting it or they're just like accepting defeat and getting out of the way. I'd honestly rather that Jared put up like somewhat of an attempt to stop a dunk from happening. So I will never be upset that he's on the other end of a dunk. Oh man. Yeah. I respect them a hell of a lot more for taking it <laughs> than mm-hmm. for getting out of the way. And I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things. It, it, even the best defenders in basketball will eventually get posterized. It happens. It's just a part yeah. of the game. The thing about Embiid that was, um, that stood out to me from that game was less like about how the Cavs were just constantly getting thrashed by him. But it was also that even though we have a ton of size, we don't have a person on this team that really matches his bulk. A bruiser. So, yeah, he is just a thick guy. And all of our centers are all of our tall guys. They're just all so lean. Like we don't have like a, that type of body type on this roster. I'd say Lamar Stevens is like the closest thing we have to someone who has like that type of muscle just, definition. Yeah. And just kind of. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I hear you. This team is definitely lacking in that regard because Jared Allen to, you know, is, is still some people consider him to be undersized. And I know that sounds crazy, but he's just not a big dude in terms of like pure mass. It just, at least in comparison to Joel, you just, but but then again, there's not many guys like that around the league that are as nimble while still maintaining such size as Embiid. But the Cavs could use somebody like that, like a, like a Bismack Biombo type, somebody, Mm -hmm. a Kendrick Perkins, somebody out there that can make you feel well, (laughs) some. Perk towards the end was not that well yeah, whatsoever. We know. We know. <laughs> let's let's just say Boston. Boston. Yeah, perk. Boston Perk. Maybe OKC Perk even <laughs> towards the, like the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. They they need somebody with a big body out there to to contest with these guys, especially well, to contend with these guys, especially come the postseason, because that team is going to be scary. And considering the fact that they didn't even have James Harden and they put a shellacking on the Cavs, that just makes things look a hell of a lot scarier. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we also, as long as the offense, though, you have to also think is comfortable running through Embiid. I think the Harden adding him in could cause some strain for this 76ers team. Because at the end of the day, this could just turn into another uh, Houston situation with Chris Paul where either Embiid or Harden have the ball, but they don't really thrive together with the ball is what I kind of see this filling team turning into. Yeah, it's certainly, there's a possibility for that happening. I'm, I'm betting against that, but there's, I can't ignore the the obvious signs here that James Harden just kind of seems to be difficult to play with, um, you know, when he's not really into it and engaged and, he just hasn't seen that way over the past few seasons. Yeah, it's weird, though, because like when it, all these reports have been coming out about how Harden doesn't like uh, non-ISO ball type offenses. But then you remember when he came to Brooklyn initially with their free flow style, he was thriving in it and was like in the MVP race for most of the year. So I don't know yeah. why these reports are now coming out that he's like, oh, I, I hate free flow. I want to go back to ISO because in Philly – you would kind of think their best option is to run a free flow style, not more of this old Houston. Okay. Uh, uh, Harden offense that is so dependent on like the, th- the players around him knocking down threes because Tobias Harris is probably their best three point shooter now on this roster after giving up Seth. Yeah, they, it's just interesting to me. I, I get the clear benefits to it. And I think that both teams kind of, won that deal, you know, just from a, a peer standpoint of players not wanting to play for their respective teams anymore and Ben and James. But in regards to James Harden specifically, I just wonder, like, if you can't make it work with Kyrie and KD, what makes you feel like the offense is going to be any more fitted to you in Philly? And, like, we – somewhere deep inside his mind, he has to know and understand that he hasn't actually reached like the pinnacle playing the style of ball that he wants. Mm -hmm. Like he's gotten close, but that was, that's not the same set of circumstances and they do not have the same type of personnel in Philly as he did when 
Houston nearly reached the finals. So I don't know. There's the, obviously this is a Cavaliers podcast, but it, it's just very interesting to see what the fit will be with James. Do you, do we even know when he's going to suit up for them? Uh, Post All Star is what I saw. Yeah, I think I, that hamstring quote unquote is really just apparently an issue. I think that's more just to protect his PR because you even saw like when before he got traded, he was trying to make it see like there was a report that came out how he was so avoidant of trying to get bad press. But James, I hate to break it to you. The press does the press and the fans are not the biggest fans of you when you leave two, three teams in two years. So yeah, not, not a good look for him. He's got to get his act together. I'll say that. Or he'll, you know, quickly reach the status of guys who nobody wants, you know, on their hands. And we could definitely yeah. see that happen if he continues this trend. Man, that loss, while, you know, it, it didn't feel good, it wasn't demoralizing. It was just one of those eye openers, one of those things that you kind of look to for a learning experience. I guess that's the best way you could put it, especially in regards to the bigs. Like, what do the Cavs do in order to stop Embiid? Because one would assume that they're eventually going to have to go through Philly. Mm-hmm. depending upon seeding and they're going to have to figure out what type of game plan works in this regard, because there's the, you can't really, you can't, you can't stop them. Like I said, but they're going to have to figure it out. But other than that loss, you know, Atlanta, that one to me, that was a game. Did you get, a, did you get actually a chance to watch any of that live? Yeah. I watched the whole game for that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you saw man, like, ridiculous i can't be the only person that believes this and i'm sure that you know many other Cavs fans are kind of feeling the same way that role was the 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 free throws you know the foul hunting crap it was made i feel i feel like for a few players in particular (laughs) and i feel like the one that we just played was flat out blatantly ignored in regards that he got away with just about everything and that is trey young yeah. How do you have more free throws by the end of the game than the entire Cavs team? Please, yeah. please, please shed some light on that. Do you believe he got some fair calls? Am I am I crazy? Am I blind here? And you no, can be feel, objective. No, it kind of feels what the NBA is doing now is what they do every year where you hear how they're going to tighten up on like travels and double dribbles and all of that type of stuff. And if you see that for like the first month or two of the season, and then as the season goes along, they kind of just revert back to the normal way of play calling heading into the postseason. And then you kind of saw, I, I felt like for the most part, this uh, like more hardcore play style of the league was refreshing. I don't think it had like <clears throat> any negative feedback outside of Harden or Trey Young. And it just felt like we stepped back into a time machine and we're kind of seeing again, like the same thing that everyone was complaining about for the past few years. Cause Harden or um, Young was just basically looked like he was flailing 24 seven. Anytime a, and uh, the wind touched him the wrong way. He was just throwing you his hands put up on a masterclass of how to flop. Like it, it was ridiculous, Corey. Like it was, it, it was mind boggling. And to his credit, he knows just how to sell it. It's oh yeah, it's no, for sure. Did you see the back to back ones on Isaac Okoro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that. Isaac Okoro should be getting like a, a check in the mail from the NBA being like, sorry about that. Here you go. This is the make right for what was wrong. It's just not basketball, man. I mean, I'm not going to continue to speak on it, but that was just one of those things that was just like, I imagine, I just, I seriously have to question how many, what his actual stat line will look like if he was not receiving those types of calls. You'd have yeah. to think that he'd have the type of stat, like he'd be struggling enough to the point that we saw with Harden earlier in the year where his numbers looked like his worst numbers since like, I think they said his OKC year. I feel like Trey young was struggling heavily. And that's also why the Hawks were just doing so poorly to start the season too. Cause Trey wasn't getting enough for the call. So the offense had to completely change and not be, 
predicated on foul hunting. Yeah, I mean, and you don't consider Trey Young a superstar, right? I mean, because I, I certainly don't. I think he's obviously an all-star caliber player. He's been there. He's going again this season. But I don't feel like he's in that echelon of players who who should be receiving, like, superstar calls. No, I think that it's just – I think his play is so based around it that that's why – he gets into a lot of situations that cause the refs to have to make those, like, timely decisions – so it's a, not that I think he's a superstar. I just think he knows how to get into the position where the refs, yeah, where the refs backs are against the wall. And it's like, all right, so it's either going to be or it isn't. And basically their first call of the game kind of decides how they're going to call the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean, this dude had 41 points. <laughs> he tried it, was, 41. it did not feel like he had 41 until like the, I saw at the end of the game and I'm like, Oh my God, there's like so many of those have to be free throws. And then that, that stat showed up and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> exactly. This is ridiculous. Like 11 of 13 from the line, 13 to 22 from the field. Um, you know, his counterpart, Darius Garland, conversely 30 points on 12 to 22 shooting and only shot two free throws. Mm-hmm. That just shows you the disparity, you know, between the two's game. Like it, it's completely different. Darius Garland is not the type to foul hunt. Uh, I mean, but it's got me feeling like, hey, I wonder how much DG could average if he played that style of ball. <laughs> yeah, with DG, though, the thing, too, is his game has never been inside. It's mostly kind of like he just likes to jump shoot more than he likes to attack the glass. And Trey, for like everyone, now. when you think of Trey, you kind of think of him just pulling up from like, four feet past the three-point line but he sneakily is like very dependent on his inside game not because he's great around the rim but it's because he knows that's where he he's going to get all of his calls he had some excellent feeds too i'll give him that he's a, he's a very very good facilitator has a couple yeah. of plays in particular in which he kind of he did a few wraparound passes in the paint to uh, clint capella which was actually a beautiful sight uh, very mm-hmm. reminiscent of what DG has going on with Jared Allen. But yeah, like just the disparity in that matchup to me, that I mean, it's obviously like a marquee. It's going to develop into a marquee matchup as these guys, you know, get older and whatnot, and especially with DG entering his first all-star season. But by and large, I was not too thrilled with the way that game was officiated. Although I feel like the Cavs had a chance, you know, uh, Leading up to the final, I would say about the final two minutes of the fourth quarter, I felt like the Cavs were still in it. Yeah, and it seemed like Mobley was off to a slow start and then proceeded to have like one of his best games we've seen in like the past month offensively. <laughs> yeah, Mobley definitely turned it on in the second half. Um, Kevin Love, very, very steady, man. He just continues to be a steadying presence for this Cavs team, short on firepower. Um, I think the way that I would really sum up this game though, is that I felt that the Cavs looked to get into a firefight and they just do yeah. not have the requisite players to, to do to, to come out victorious in that regard. The way that the Cavs are going to have to be able to win a matchup like that is, is defensively. I mean, am, am I wrong? No, I was going to say, I feel like we kind of, we say this at least every other episode, but the best offense that this Cavs team has is off of their defense and like, getting into transition and working from there, because if it turns into a half court offensive type game, then the Cavs team kind of struggles once the pick and roll is removed. So even with the addition of Levert, it like, you can tell they're still figuring a lot of stuff out. Levert has moments where he can do some ISO ball on his own, but that also doesn't really fit into what this Cavs team does. Well, you know, Anytime we go into ISO ball, the ball, it just feels like we're just dribbling the air out of the ball. And then it's a very low percentage chance that we make, we convert those shot attempts. The style of ball that you could see him reverting back to is very reminiscent to what people complained about with Colin Sexton uh, to begin the season. Um, in that regard, though, you know, you have to give Levert time because what is that was just his fourth game, I believe. Yeah, and he's but, had good games, so it's not like he's been struggling. The, it, the only time I feel like he struggles is when he just tries to revert back to, like you said, bad habits that, that he – it's easy to develop them on an Indiana team that was going in the middle of nowhere, and they're like, all right, Harris, you're the only person right now that's going to 
be able to consistently get these one-on-ones. So let's see what you can do. But on this Cavs team, he has a lot of other players that could also take the ball and score and hold it to create plays for others. Yeah. I mean, Levert nine points in that game was by far his, in in my opinion, um, his worst game as a Cavs so far, but that's, that's not saying a lot considering he just came to the team. And like you said, we have seen him look fairly well in his, uh, in his new digs here. He didn't shoot terribly well in this game. I feel like that was something that definitely hurt the Cavs, um, especially needing that firepower in a matchup like this. Four of 12 from the field, one of six from the three-point line. It's just, you got to have more out of him. And I think one of the things I'm starting to question is him coming off the bench. Now, I know we talked about this a lot. Do you think him coming off the bench is still kind of lending credence to the fact that maybe he still doesn't quite know what his role is within the offense. I mean, it coming off the bench, depending upon the players that he's on the court with, that's, I guess that's a, one of the biggest parts about this, but to me, he still looks lost out there at certain points, especially within the confines of the second unit. Like I I don't feel like he truly feels confident playing, bringing his brand of basketball and playing his style of basketball within the confines of the Cavs offense. I just, I don't see it yet. I'm I'm hoping that it comes around. I think his best role is still to come off the bench, play like a solid 30 plus minutes, but not just start the game. I think it will take time. He's also, he's that one, he's adapting to a new role. Uh, and then two, he's adapting to a new team with a whole new set of players. I mean, that's a lot to kind of throw at someone with 30 games left. I would, I'd be surprised if it didn't take him at least 20 games to kind of figure out how it's going to go. Cause if we're going off the Sexton comparison, cause we, they do have a somewhat similar play style yep. Sexton towards the end before his injury was really starting to kind of come into his own and become more comfortable with that. I think when you're so score, uh, centric as a player getting told, Hey, uh, you're not going to be the guy for this offense right now. It kind of takes you out of your element and you really have to find new ways to contribute. And Karis has shown flashes of why I think he can thrive in this, uh, secondary ball handler off the bench type role. I mean, we saw it in that Pacer game. He had a really nice feed in the corner that I was, or was that San Antonio? I think that was San Antonio where he yeah. had a really nice corner feed. And I was thinking like, all right, now I I see like little sprinkles of what he could definitely work on as the season goes on. Like, cause let's face it, if he doesn't look like a complete product or like a complete player for this team by the start of the postseason, it doesn't mean that it was necessarily a failure yet. He still has a postseason to work with. I think he has a lot of time and Cavs fans in general, we should just be more patient with Levert because he is trying to adapt to a lot on the fly. Oh, man, I completely agree. And to be honest with you, you know, we've talked about this numerous times. Like Colin Sexton's style of play will come in handy in the playoffs. I think Levert's, to a certain extent, is the same way. I feel like he has a lot that he can bring to the table in that type of uh, that type of setting. And it's only a matter of time before it comes around. I, too, still believe that his best role ultimately is off the bench because I value his scoring chops and secondary playmaking more than I would within the uh, within the starting unit, especially considering with what who you'd have to sub out. And that's what not even talking about Lowry um, returning. Hopefully that's soon. Mm-hmm. But there's just a lot of adjustments here that JB is probably going to have to make and roles they're going to need to be kind of uh, sussed out here. But by and large, I have been generally um, elated with what we've gotten in returns for Karis LeVert so far. So I can't complain, even though we've (laughs) suffered two straight defeats. Yeah, no, I don't think it's related to LeVert's struggles necessarily because like even we saw, now I think I'm remembering correctly, it was the Pacer game with LeVert (laughs) where he didn't have a good shooting night, but he hit like the most, one of the more important shots towards the end of the game. Like he doesn't necessarily have to be a rhythm-based shooter. He can like him making big buckets at the end of games is essentially what we're trading him. We traded him for him for, yeah, because like we always were seeing that Darius was really the guy that needed to hit these shots at the end of games. 
in order for us to have a chance. And as long as we have someone else that has their own gravity at the end of games, and I Lavert's already has definitely brought that with him, then this trade to me makes a lot of sense still. Yeah, I mean, how could it not at this point, especially considering what you gave up? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, you know, to acquire him, so it was it was great. It, it's worked out so far, and hopefully, the All Star break will give JB and the coaching staff some time to kind of iron out some of these wrinkles heading into the next what the twenty four games that we have remaining on the season. Just that's it's just one of those things that the Cavs are going to have to kind of figure out on the fly just because we're already late into the season. So I have faith, but with that being said, man, I feel like it would be a great segue into the superlatives that you have suggested. So with that being said, man, First question, with the Cavs being 35 and 23 heading into the All-Star break, which is, man, that's uh, 12 games over 500 and definitely way ahead of expectations that anybody had levied against them. I mean, if anybody had told me that the Cavs would be heading into the All-Star break with two All-Stars, two rising stars in, in prime position to make the playoffs, I'd probably laugh at them. <laughs> I don't know about you. And, you know, even as zany and upbeat as I am, man, that's just that would that would be a one hell of a prediction to to have made. And to anybody out there, if they did make this type of prediction, credit to you guys. First question, buddy. Twenty four games left on the season. Cavs sitting at thirty five and twenty three. What is your end of season record prediction? I um. My friend actually just sent me the 365 projection or 338. I forget the ESPN website up top of my head right now, but it, um, or 538. That's what it is. And they had the Cavs record projected to be 48 and, um, 34, 34. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they had the Celtics projected to go 50 and 32. What? I know this, like, have you seen uh, their schedule? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't understand it at all, but at the same time, I feel like we have to be flirting with a 50-win season, honestly. The schedule, except for this like tough stretch we have coming up for like the last, like, there's a 10-game stretch that I saw on Twitter today that I was like, ooh, this, they were saying how this was going to kind of determine whether or not we're going to be uh, a top four seed or going to be a five or six. It was a lot of West and, but all of our West games are at home now for the rest of the year. So that that's good. Um, all this rambling aside, <laughs> uh, I think this Cavs team could easily sit at like a, uh, like a 51 win season is what I kind of see for the rest of the year, this is like kind of generalizing, but I think this team responds to loss as well. And I don't see this team really going on a like three plus game losing skid for any, at any point for the rest of the season. That's fair. I mean, like 35 wins. So they would at, at the very least need to win 15 of those 24, leaving room for nine losses. I feel like that's very doable. I don't know about you. I mean, just sitting here, looking at the schedule here, um, coming out of the All-Star break, Detroit. Now, if we've learned anything as Cavaliers fans, especially this season, is that you should never, ever pencil in a win over any opponent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just because of some of the letdowns that we've seen. So Detroit, Washington, Minnesota, Charlotte, and then right back in Philly. I mean, yeah, this is uh, the stretch <laughs> I was referring to because it goes from Charlotte to Philly, Toronto, Indiana, Miami, Chicago, Clippers, Sixers, Nuggets. I mean, that's, that's brutal. That is brutal. Yeah, it's but at the same time, like it's not like we haven't done well against these teams in the past either. The only team we really seem to struggle against, ironically, is Detroit. <laughs> yeah, and Chicago kind of gives us fits too, uh, I suppose. But you know, and now Philly as well. 
Obviously. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we could see James Harden. <laughs> we could see James oh, Harden then too. Thanks. Well, James Harden hasn't been able to beat the Cavs in a while. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think that Colin Sexton had a big part in breaking them up. Oh, that is a fact. You know, James Harden still has sleepless nights thinking of Colin Sexton hitting that three over Kyrie. <laughs> Yeah, but 15 games at most they would need to win. I felt like that is very, very with uh, within the realm of possibility. So I'm going to put my record prediction exactly at 50 wins. So 50 and 32. Um, that's not far off from 48, obviously. But if we're just like, wait, 48? That's ridiculous. Exactly. I'm going to say 50. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's, the, it's the price is right rules here, man. You got to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to be right there. Uh, okay. So that's, those are solid predictions. I feel like and definitely within the realm of possibility. My next question for you, man, who has been your favorite Cavalier to watch this season? Mm. I feel like everyone's answer is probably Darius, but I am a man of my word and Kevin Love I knew has it. I knew it. <laughs> Kevin Love's resurgence. I think if anyone says they aren't enjoying it, I'd love to strap them to a lie detector test because what he has done is basically hop into a time machine and become apparently an absolute marksman from three-point land. Who said that? It was a broadcaster that said, <laughs> Kevin Love, uh, something like that. So they made a crazy call like that out of a time machine. I think you highlighted it the last time we recorded. Yeah, it, it was uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, Yeah. Yeah, Charlotte was going on and on. How, Kevin, But they were acting like Kevin Love has been doing it all year. They're like, oh, my God, why is he doing it against us? And I'm like, uh, why don't you just look at his season stats or maybe check his per 36 and see how he's been doing for the rest of the year because his stats are insane per 36. Like you would think we're back to Minnesota Kevin Love on steroids. <laughs> for a player that's playing in a reserve role to me, that's crazy. Honestly, that's my that is my answer. Kevin Love. Yes, we we know what Darius Garland is doing, but just from a pure like sentimentality standpoint and just wanting to see a guy turn things around, Kevin Love has been, you know, nothing short of amazing this season. I mean, he's playing impactful basketball and he's coming off the bench now. And to me, I, I don't know what the message was that they sent to Kevin. I'm sure it was very clear and very concise but he has bought into whatever they are selling over there. It's a crazy thing, man. Yeah, if I had to give... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, if we could give honorable mentions, I'd also give them to, uh, obviously, Ricky, because Ricky was a lot of fun to watch this year before he went down. And I also would give it to Jetty, because Jetty has uh, Kevin Love's similar resurgence, but it was over a one-season period where Jetty was coming off of almost looking like he was going to be a throw-in to like any trade just to get a second-round pick back. And now he's, again, <laughs> yeah, now he's basically also a, a very key player off this Cavalier bench. Yeah, Kevin Love, man, despite coming off the bench, he has canned 126 triples. And just still, you know, to me, the, the mere fact that he's coming off the bench and he, the fact that he has an opportunity to break JR get the pipe Smith's record of 204 despite having coming uh, despite being in a reserve role. That just, that just speaks to how impactful he is, especially for a team as young as the Cavs. He's their fifth leading scorer with 14.3 a night. And to me, you know, the steady presence that he's able to provide to, to a team that just is de- have been devoid of veteran leadership, you know, it just speaks volume to how important that he has become. Like they, I don't even think anybody even thinks about the contract anymore. I certainly don't. No, I lose no sleep. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I completely forgot how much money this guy is making. And the fact that he's going to be, you know, his contract's turning into an expiring one next season. We're going to have to kind of, you know, wonder what the Cavs end up doing, you know, because he is going to be some, he's going to provide some type of trade value going into next season if he continues this this trend of play. But I'm hoping that he remains a Cavalier, and I would not be against the idea of him re-signing come the end of his uh, current deal if he's not moved. No, this Cavs team remains like with the same momentum 
that we've carried on from this season, I think he'd want to stay too. I think he really enjoys what's happening now. And all he ever wanted to be on was a team that was trying to win. So a contender. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he would consider signing a veteran middle? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I thought I'd throw that out there. All righty. Next on the docket, best defender on the team. Mm, I'm going to say Evan Mobley. <laughs> I I feel like that's kind of a surprise because I think Jarrett is probably the number one. But Evan Mobley is like just stepped in and I would argue has provided the same defensive impact that Jared Allen has, but it's more impressive to me because he's just so young and Jared Allen's been in the league for a while to this point, which only makes me think Mobley's defensive ceiling has to be like ridiculous. Cause if you think this is his defensive ceiling right now, you're going to be shocked in like two years when he becomes like an absolute force. (laughs) So am I to assume that you would consider Jared Allen your runner up then? In this yes. regard. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I kind of had it the same way, to be honest with you. To me, the mere fact that Mobley is switchable, as mm-hmm. like as switchable at his size, that to me gives him the uh the nod here. And anytime, and I, I know we've talked about this, it feels like almost every episode, when we consider a rookie to be in the uh to be a contender for an all-team defense, you know, type of um consideration that's a that's a huge deal i mean obviously he's he, he's going to end up being either your 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 best or second best defender and in this case he gets my vote for best defender on the team jared allen is not far behind because i feel like jared allen's you know paint presence and his ability to try to uh to dictate the flow of the game in that regard and who goes in and who's able to score just astounding to me that the Cavs have the services of both of these guys. Yeah. So keep- two of them together are in like, they're the defensive player of the year on, on this <laughs> team combined. Like they are just a wrecking crew. It's yeah. like, there's really, I can't think of another NBA comparison of like two players who defensively gel so well together. It's a kind of like, it feels like the effect that Draymond has on the Warriors, except we just get it with two players <laughs> and the Warriors kind of have like that type of impact defensively, but it comes from one player. Okay. I'm going to throw you one here real quick that I didn't have written down. Who is the best non big defender on the team? Oh my God. I think everyone's probably screaming to say like a Coro. So we all feel better about his struggles from time to time. <laughs> but I honestly, I feel like the best defend, the best offensive presence I've seen, we don't see it all the time, but I feel like Lamar does a great job to come in off the bench and usually gives a great effort defensively. And a it's hard to like, kind of, you can never find metrics that really show how good defense is for players. Cause like a Coro in every statute you see, it doesn't look like he's a great defender and he is a, a good defender. We're just putting him up against the top player every time. And it's like, his goal isn't like, he shouldn't go into the game thinking he's going to shut people down. It's more that he's going to slow them down with Lamar. They give him much more reasonable matchups. I feel like from time to time. And that's why I'm probably saying that he's been an impressive defensive player. Yeah, but I'm I'm going to give Lamar his due here and say that his efforts being recognized, and I think he's been our best non-big defender this year. Oh, it's fair enough. I would I would venture along the same lines here and say Lamar Stevens. Um, you'd like to see him hit the court a little bit more. I feel like he his defensive presence was sorely needed to me versus Atlanta. I feel like throwing a guy like that out there, at least you know and. A small amount of minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, could have definitely helped, especially when you consider the fact that Dean Wade often found himself defending Trey Young, which is not an ideal position for him. Unless you're Dean Wade, then it's very <laughs> ideal. Because <laughs> we are the Dean Wade premiere podcast. Oh, yeah. Dean, we're still waiting on your appearance, man. I'd love <laughs> an <waiting>. answer. <laughs> All right. At some point, it's hurtful. <laughs> Uh, most underrated player on the team. Oh, most underrated honorable mention, probably Brandon Goodwin. 
He's been doing very well for us. <laughs> not honorable mention, not Dean Windler, uh, Dylan Windler. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Windler. Dean Windler. There you go right there. Dean Windler. Oh God, that's that's terrible for Dean. I'm sorry. I just had him on the mind, you know. <laughs> Um, Do you think, think, just just to ask you this question, because I feel like I think I just talked about this with Dan and Amadou and they're on. (laughs) Um, Is Dylan Windler done with the Cavs? Oh, God. I honestly hope I I think I thought to myself earlier in the week. um, I hope he has some semblance of trade value. Hopefully they just go back to that summer league tape with Beeline. And they're like, man, this kid could be like the the white curry (laughs) if we give him enough effort. No, yeah. Um, unless Windler really shows up in a postseason game, like when we need scoring, we throw him in for that last ditch spark. I don't see much time more where he's going to be on the floor, which kind of stinks because Windler in a vacuum would be an, a, an amazing player for this Cavs team. But you can only say so many times, like, he's exactly what this team needs. But hypothetically, it's what he with this team needs. But in actuality, when he's on the floor, he's not giving us any of what we need. He's just too timid. That is completely fair. Yeah, to me, I feel like his time is over. <laughs> oh, no. Like like so you're saying done. I should return my Windler jersey? <laughs> I don't even know why you have it in the first place. <laughs> it was the cool throwbacks with Whammer. <laughs> oh, man. Just keep it. Keep it for resale value. I don't know. <laughs> Who am I reselling it to? <laughs> his parents? Dylan, you can sell it to Dylan Windler. <laughs> Oh, damn. Well, maybe you, I, I, when he's done with his NBA contract, he can't afford it. So that's what I'll thank on. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's, uh, <laughs> that would be heartbreaking. <laughs> uh, uh, my I'll vote <laughs> for most underrated has to go to Lowry Marketing because I just feel mm. like, you know, you're I really seeing, like that pick. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. You're, you're really seeing the what missing him can do to this offense. Like we saw what the Cavs offense looks like without the um, presence of Darius Garland. We have seen what the Cavalier offense looks like without Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. But I truly feel like the Lowry marketing, even though you would not consider him to be a focal point, is key to what the Cavs do. I mean, when you start, mm-hmm. when, you, when you look at what the Cavs, when they were at their best, the three big lineups. Yes. yes you, mm-hmm. If you if you were to look at Lowry Markin's traditional box score stat line, you wouldn't think anything special of it. Though the plus minus is really good for him. I feel like the verticality that he brings at the three, being a seven footer, being to laterally move the way that he can, being able to contest the way he can, being able to space the floor, definitely something the Cavs are missing right now. And I feel like not enough Cavs fans have really taken him you know, taking his presence as, as a good thing and instead have taken him for granted to a degree just because of the way the season had started for him. Like, we know shooting will come and go for him. But as long as he's playing confident out there, because he too strikes me as a guy that is like heavily relying upon confidence. Mm-hmm. But just what he, so many intangibles that he brings to the table is, is, is why he gets my vote for underrated player. And I cannot wait until this guy comes back into the fold. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with what you're saying. I'm more jealous now that I couldn't think of that <laughs> myself. Um, I spent too much time thinking about Dean Windler. Dean Windler. Yeah, I think Dean Wade would probably get my uh, my runner-up just because even <laughs> though we, we joke about him a lot, I feel like he always stays ready. And the the fact that he can come out there and despite not playing three, four games at a time and, and provide a very Lowry Markin-ish stat line and, and pretty good defense at three is, is something that the Cavs probably value highly. And I, I know that it has to do something to him, you know, from a mental standpoint to not know what his role is going to be at any given point, especially when once this team returns to full strength. I definitely appreciate what he brings. Yeah, no, I uh, I totally agree. I feel like Lamar kind of gets the praise of the two of them, even though I feel like they both impact the Cavs equally in different ways. They both kind of play around the same minutes. It's just they both either one of them plays over the other. It feels like more likely than not. Yeah. So I think like just from a value standpoint, 
I think Lamar brings a ton of value in regards to defense, specifically on the perimeter. And I feel like Dean can do a lot of the same things defensively, but he can space the floor a little bit better. Although I feel like Lamar is better in transition and has like a better mid-range at this point in time. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like with Lamar, I think the reason he kind of stands out more is because he has more of those big showing type games where he can just like there was that stretch where he was. Yeah. And he like he's very boomer bust offensively, but when he hits, he can score like 18 plus off the bench. But with Dean Wade, I feel like he's more consistent and he'll consistently get you like around 10 plus points. But you don't really see a Dean Wade explosion game where he's going to go for like 20 plus. Yeah, and you probably never will. Uh, it's just the, the the game that he plays. Um, wow. To be honest with you, <laughs> I like mean, I, I know, I know, I know that sounds like I'm hating on him, and I and I'm not, but I just don't think you're going to just because I feel like he plays within the uh, the, the confines of the offense, and he knows that he's not going to be the focal point anytime soon. He would be on my team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. Uh, moving on. Most surprising player this season. Can it be Kevin Love again? <laughs> I mean, I suppose. I mean, if he has he surprised you more than anybody else on the team? No, like, actually, um, because I never lost faith in him. No. <laughs> but uh Jetty Osman definitely seals the deal for me on that one because my expectations were rock bottom coming into the rock year. Bottom? I remember, Damn. Yeah, because he just was like yeah, I felt like last year he just looked so out of sync and I was just trying to struggle to think of ways in which he was going to really, because if his shot wasn't going down, it was kind of just watching when he had the ball, it was like a fish flailing around. Like he just had no idea. In other words, no it was Trey Young. <laughs> yeah, basically, you know. <laughs> Lop it uh, yeah, but Jetty, um, Jetty really surprised me. You know, taking the ball out of his hands, I think, has done a lot for him. I know Mac is a huge fan of Point Jetty at times. And on <laughs> paper, hate, I like it hate. too. <laughs> you are <laughs> 12 assists. But, uh, 12 assists, man. And his long, I, I think he's only appeared at point guard, like started a game at point guard once this season. And at least he dished out 12. Yeah, that was a really fun Pelicans game to watch. <laughs> we all were really enjoying Point Jetty all the time. But Jetty's as when he gets on a roll, he kind of I feel like is a huge part of these avalanches. Like I don't think avalanches also like happen without Jetty and without Kevin Love becoming absolute flamethrowers on both sides. But I don't know about you, but I think Jetty and Kevin's impact off the bench is equally kind of important because if they're both hitting, I don't see a way in which we lose. But when one of them is on fire, it allows the bench to kind of stay alive. And they're both just so, so important to this team offensively. They're probably like outside of Darius, I would argue they're the second and third most important offensive players. Those are all very good points, man. I completely agree, especially in regards to the Cavalanche point. Cause I feel like so many times in these games, especially as of late, and even in this last one against Atlanta, Oftentimes that you'll see that will start that Cavalanche is a Kevin Love or Jetty Osmond three. And it just seems to consent like as soon as that three drops or as soon as that basket drops, the other start uh, other shots start to come in. The offense starts flowing a little bit better. Ball movement is up. So I, I feel like they're both equally important to what the Cavs are able to do, especially in regards to the reserves. So um yeah, most surprising definitely could go to Jetty. I feel like after the season that he had last year, and I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, after the season that he had last year, in which he was just so hot and cold, he was continuously pulled in and out of the lineup and benched and just kind of seemed to be in JB's doghouse at points. And I, so to be honest with you, I felt like it was unfair even then, just because the Cavs were like devoid of, of facilitators <laughs> at, at points last season. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've talked about this numerous times. Jetty is at his best when his role is simplified and he's playing in a in a reserve role. When you're when you when you have simplified what his role is, whatever you have given him a a period of minutes that that suits the game flow, Jetty Osmond can be a very good contributor to your team. And I feel like you're seeing that this season. 
I mean, like, dude started out on on fire this season and he's tailed off and he's still so much of a confidence player. But this season, I, I feel like he's been vital to them winning a lot of games. Yeah, 100%. The bench is kind of – it determines so much for this Cavs offense. Like, if they're g- going – that it kind of allows the like the starters to get a lot more rest. Otherwise, you kind of see us get gassed very quickly in like the third quarter if we just are so heavily reliant on Garland and Allen's pick and roll. Because I mean, let's face it: outside of those two, offensively right now, Mobley is a project offensively. So anything we get out of him is a huge plus. And yes, he goes on these little stretches, but I wouldn't say we're ever like, all right, now if Mobley drops at least fifteen we'll be fine. <laughs> like that never is like a thing that crosses our mind. It's more likely that we're like, if we can get at least 15 points from Kevin and at least 10 from Jetty, then we should be fine. I completely agree. <clears throat> Evan Mobley is far from a finished product on offense. And I feel like he has sort of curtailed a little bit and, you know, maybe that's a rookie wall, maybe not, but anything that you're getting from him in regards to the offensive side, you're not going to be mad at just because we know that he's providing stellar defense and he is able to go out there and just impact the game in so many other areas. Uh, Moving on to the next question here for you, my friend, who provides the most value for the Cavs this season? Uh, Darius Garland (laughs) by a mile. And it's because he is uh, the straw that stirs the drink for this offense. He, Without Darius Garland, I couldn't even imagine what this Cavs offense would look like because we've seen games without him, and that alone tells you who's very the most valuable on this team because the offense dies. Like you can plug, we we can plug Rondo in, we can plug Goodwin in, we can plug anyone in, and the offense just like everyone kind of just looks like they're looking at each other, just hoping someone's going to do something. <laughs> And with That's kind of how I look at you. <laughs> like whatever we're, uh, whatever record, sometimes I feel like you're uh, you pick me up here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I just like uh, I I I just it's like painful to watch the Cavs offense that Darius at times. Like even like in the bench is fine, but because you're like you know we're just kind of prolonging and waiting for Darius to come back, and Rondo does a fine enough job to facilitate, but he has, like we've said before, just zero offensive gravity. Like, yeah, he'll take those threes for some reason. And the defense is like, whatever, like we'll let see what happens. But Darius does just way too much for him not to be deserving of this award. In my opinion. <laughs> All right. You know, you'll, uh, we'll take it there. So I'm assuming, cause I was actually going to ask two separate best value and most valuable player. So I'm assuming that that makes Darius Garland the, team mvp then as well for you. oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. i i mean it's like i kind of feel like he like anything that has the word value in it has to be darius like i don't know because like we all went into this year wondering how darius was gonna do off of his last year where he kind of felt like he was starting to grow into his own towards the end of the year he looked more comfortable and then when colin went down it was like all right well if darius was ever gonna step up this was gonna have to be it and we have definitely seen Darius turn into this alpha dog type player that honestly, I, I, I know we've said this before, but I, I don't see a way in which he was going to reach this ceiling without Collins injury. Yeah. And it's hard for me to admit that, but I do have to agree with that just because you have so much solid evidence um, in regards to that. And <clears throat> for me, yeah, it's definitely Darius Garland too. I mean, not only is he leading the team in scoring, something that come into the season, I feel like most people would have thought Colin Sexton would be doing. Um, you know, with the injury, you know, we we already know what happened, but I just I, I could not imagine Darius Garland leading the team in that category um coming into the season. And here he is doing it with 20.3 a night. And then, you know, he's also pacing the team, I believe, in assist with uh, eight per game. It just, which to me is just speaks volumes about the fact that this guy can start the game off either looking to score or facilitate. He's just multifaceted in that regard. And so for him, I think the dude is averaging like career highs across the board, to be honest with you. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go through the list here, but this dude is like 
he seriously is averaging career highs across the board, which to me, do you think he has a case for most improved player? I think he should, but at the end of the day, I, I, I don't have the, the odds in front of me, but I would probably still say he's definitely not the favorite. I feel like they're going to probably pick someone else from a bigger market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the NBA John Moran probably I could definitely see that happening especially with how successful they've been in Memphis they they kind of mirror the Cavs in that regard if not a little bit Cavs you know. West yeah definitely uh, but there I don't really think there's any other competition in regards to team MVP although you could probably name you could put Jared Allen up there you know the the fellow All Star but. How successful of a season do you think Jared Allen would have had if Darius Garland wasn't on the court? Um, Not as successful offensively. I think defensively he would stay the same because at the end of the day, that's not really tied to how Darius is playing. (laughs) But offensively, Darius unlocks a lot for Jared just because he knows where to find him in certain spots. It's not like Jared's creating these shots on his own most times. It's kind of like he gets a feed from Darius and then goes to work because he has the, the room to work. Versus if he was, I don't see a situation in which Jared takes it from the elbow and is doing a few pivots, then goes into a post move or two. I just, I don't see a situation in which that's happening. But also I did just look up uh, the NBA award odds and John Morant is like the clear favorite right now. And then actually Darius is third and Miles Bridges is second. I mean, yeah, I could definitely see it. All three of those guys definitely would warrant consideration for that award, in my opinion. I mean, they would all definitely be up there. Come and DeJounte's season. close, too. I mean, that dude, he's been balling out, too. I know a lot of people wanted the Cavs to, you know, swing for the fences mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, vie for his services, and I, I couldn't be mad at that. But uh, you got to assume that San Antonio's price was high in regards to him, if he was even on the market at all. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, though. I don't see any Dean Wade on here. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Dean Windler. <laughs> nope, uh, nope. Just won't see any of those guys because the, the NBA doesn't show any love to Cleveland. Damn, know we're that is Cleveland. That is, that is terrible. <laughs> the fact that they couldn't even include him just for that reason. <laughs> just that reason alone. <laughs> Ah oh, man, before we get out of here, I just want to ask, what are you going to use this all-star break to do? Because I don't know about you, but I am tired of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just, I am just going to, I'm actually going to Ohio um, this weekend for my sister's wedding. So, you know, Good cover I guess that's, a, <laughs> I guess that's a something, but, uh, and I'm very excited about that. But what are you going to use this break for? I'm going to watch uh, the Cavs beat Giannis in a playoff like setting probably for the only time this year <laughs> when the, when team Cavs takes down team Atatakumpo in the all-star game. Did you watch that selection show? Yeah, that was, that was hilarious. It was, I loved cringe LeBron, man. <laughs> Dude, Le- LeBron is the king of cringe though. Like he, he feeds into it. I think at this point he just knows he's like in dad mode <laughs> and he just does it like, 24 7 that clipboard dude (laughs) i wanted to know what was really on it (laughs) i feel like he was like i just gotta say these five things during this and people will think i'm hilarious and i'm just gonna make them think that i love darius garland but actually at the end of the day i'm just doing it so i fuel these cleveland rumors so my name stays in the cycle yeah, I, I kind of had a feeling that he was going to end up selecting Darius. But to me, obviously, the most the funniest part about that was the whole James Harden decision that came down to the wire at the end. They they did not do KD any favors. Dude, KD is just a salty guy, and I love it. It's not a good <laughs> interview. Like, I, I would hate to interview Kevin Durant because he's just so dry. <laughs> yeah, but, like, when you can take away how dry it is, it kind of turns into, like, it being even more funny. Like how like upset he is, which sounds like a really mean thing to say, but like watching KD kind of squirm when the inside guys are kind of ribbing at him is yeah. so funny. Yeah, especially Charles Barkley. Like Dude, Charles does not care. He, like he basically made a meme out of Charles Barkley, I think, last year, and uh, Charles still just keeps poking and prodding at him, and that's what makes Barkley so great. 
Yeah, this dude literally literally asked KD if he had a psychiatrist <laughs> or I, I believe uh, a psychologist. Yeah, on, on call. Set. Yeah, <laughs> that that's that's some next level stuff right there. I, I love the inside the NBA coverage. <laughs> oh my god, it's it it just takes what's so it just feels more it's like genuine. genuine. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Look at us. So genuine right now. (laughs) We got to end on a good note then, man. (laughs) I'm ending it right there. Guys, as I always tell you, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, common underscore core on Twitter, Devron Perry on Twitter. Have a good night.